right, so joining me to run down free agency is Ben Qualiata, a different Ben, a Ben we've had on before, uh, Quags, as he is known on Detroit Bad Boys, who is very busy today uh, helping to uh, break down everything that the Pistons have done so far in free agency. A busy first day of free agency for the Detroit Pistons, and a busy day overall. Uh, it may not seem like it, but 22 players have agreed to contracts today for a total of $1.4 billion spent so far on the open market and free agency. And as of the time this is being recorded, we are not even 24 hours in. So it's been pretty crazy. Ben, you've done a great job breaking it down so far. What are just your general thoughts about free agency uh, just up to this moment? Um, free agency is my favorite day of the year. I love it. I just love the craziness. Um, I guess what I like the most is the teams that are, think they're going to be good. They scramble to get guys that are probably average and then they pay them massive bucks like Evan Turner. But, you know, that, that's what makes it really good, especially when the Pistons aren't doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's nice when our team doesn't have to quite scramble like that. Uh, the Pistons, though, did make uh, did, did sign two players, uh, including Ish Smith. Uh, probably to be the backup point guard of the future to a three-year contract reportedly worth uh, right around, was it $18 million? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so reportedly right around $18 million for Ish Smith. Uh, ben, you actually wrote a couple articles about Ish Smith, one that was very positive, and another that talked about some of the negatives of Ish Smith as the backup point guard yeah. for the Pistons. So uh, there's definitely two sides to this article. I think everyone uh, at DBB had their favorite backup point guard prospect in this free agency crop. What do you think of Ish Smith, uh, especially now that we've seen some of the other point guard deals come across? Uh, what do you think of him as a player first? Let's start with that. Um, well, my first inclination was, actually, firstly, when I heard people saying that how they wanted Ish Smith, I was a bit hesitant because he wasn't someone that I thought would be a Van Gundy-type player. Um, and then when we signed him, I kind of talked myself into not being excited for it, but maybe some acceptance. But just looking at him as a player, I mean, there's got, got to be some sort of reason he's been on nine teams already in six years. <laughs> um, and he only really looked good when he was plonked into that horrible situation in Philly. So, I mean, the shooting's a concern, it always will be, and I didn't think Van Gundy would want a backup point guard that not only struggles from three, but also is not a very good free-throw shooter. It's like 65%. So, But I do like his athleticism and his quickness. Um, his playmaking looks pretty good from what I saw in Philly. Again, that's Philly, so no one really knows. Um, the contract size isn't terrible, so I guess I can learn to live with it. Yeah, I mean, it's about $6 million a year. It's not a bad value for a backup point guard, uh, but you're right. For someone who's played for that many teams, uh, nine teams in the beginning of his career already, uh, it is kind of worrisome, and you're right that the shooting numbers are definitely what caught my attention. Is kind of a red flag with Ish Smith. Uh, and just a few hours after his deal was reported, you had the DJ Augustine deal, and DJ Augustine, a favorite of so many Pistons fans, after his time as the uh, you know heralded backup point guard for the Detroit Pistons, he signed a four-year, twenty-nine million dollar deal with the Magic. How do you compare Augustine's deal to Smith's? Well, I think Augustine's worth more purely because he can shoot, and defenses can't just sag off him completely. Um, my only concern with the Augustine deal is the length. Um, he's yeah. already he'll be he'll be twenty nine at the start of the season. So, and especially with the magic what they've done, which is really confusing, loading up on all those point guards like CJ Watson and Alfred Payton as well, and then they're going to be paying um, Augustine for the next four years when he's been really inconsistent his whole career anyway. So, I like Augustine. I probably still would take his contract over Smith's marginally, but the length concerns me at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think just Smith deal, um, maybe it was just the timing because he was one of the first marginal players. I, I don't want to say marginal players. One of the first non-starters to be signed to a contract uh, in free agency so far. So I think there was some scrutiny from the Pistons fan base about how quickly they jumped on signing Ish Smith. Uh, what, what do you take away from the timing of signing Ish on the first day? Uh, did you expect that they would be this aggressive to take a backup point guard that didn't really seem to be on a radar heading into today. Well, Stan doesn't surprise me with that. I mean, he targeted Cardio Martin in like the first hour a couple of years ago. So True, yeah. In, in that sense, that doesn't really surprise me at all. 
Um, look, Stan obviously knows who he wants and he doesn't really care what anyone else thinks in terms of going to get that guy. Um, and my, my guess for targeting Smith so early is either there's A, he was on the top of the board, which I probably would be inclined to doubt, but also, like, also, uh, he obviously thought that A, the guys like Lynn, Delavadova, Bayless, whoever, would be priced out of his range, and also he didn't want to wait on those guys and then potentially miss out on them anyway and still not have anyone as a contingency. Yeah, that's true. And you, you don't want to find yourself in a bidding war for players who might have been a little more popular on the free agent market. And a few of those signed today. I think names that uh, are, are probably a little more familiar to Pistons fans. Uh, some fan favorites, including your guy, Quags, Del Vadova, signing a four-year, $38 million offer sheet with the Bucks. Uh, the Cavs, of course, now have 72 hours to match that deal. Uh, Delhi was uh, a favorite, I think, not just of your, not just of you, but of many people on DBB. What do you think of the contract offer for Della Vadova, and could the Pistons have afforded that nine point five million or so a season for for Delhi? Well, just quickly, the GM LeBron James has already announced on Twitter that good luck to Delhi in Milwaukee. So I don't think Cleveland's going to match it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's um, fair. I, I just noticed SB Nation has been quick to say the Cavs can match, but you're right. Uh, subtweet, uh, the LeBron James subtweet era continues as he yeah. as he kind of waves Bon Voyage to Delvadova. But what do you think yeah, of his uh, his deal to the Bucks? Yeah, um, look, I was discussing this with a friend of mine who is a Bucks fan, and we both thought that uh, he was probably going to be getting an upper limit of maybe $12 million a season. So in terms of pure numbers, I think that nine and a half as an average over four years is really good for someone who's still only 25. Um, especially considering uh, he's an excellent shooter in terms of like catch and shoot and shooting something that Milwaukee really needs. Um, he can play with a point guard. He's a, a disruptive defender, if not an athletic one. So I really like the contract. I like Milwaukee's moves in general as well, signing Toledovich to three years, $30 million. So I think Milwaukee's done really well. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good move. It fits uh, the roster pretty well. I know they were looking for shooting. Uh, Delhi does provide a bit of that. But you're right, it's the, the defense that's really stuck out uh, with, uh, for me with Della Vadova. And you're right, his ability to play with another primary point guard, playing next to someone and play off the ball. Uh, and that's comparing him just as a player to Ish Smith. Uh, it's the defense that I think with Della Vadova is probably worth that extra few million dollars. Uh, the Pistons, of course, had that money. They had about $20 million in cap space. Uh, would you have felt comfortable with the Pistons spending $10 million or so on a backup point guard? Well, just quickly, I think Delhi's also a good fit in that point Giannis lineup if he's just going to play off the ball. Oh, that's um, true, yeah. Because he might start in Milwaukee. That's probably why he took a little bit less than what people thought he was going to get. Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden um, is a very big lineup, too, if you have Middleton, Jabari, Giannis, yeah. Delhi, and Greg Monroe. Yeah, I mean, they still might even get Dwayne Wade and trade Greg Monroe and start someone like Henson or Plumley, but right. moving on from that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Pistons, uh, look, I would have been perfectly fine giving them that, giving him that type of deal. Obviously, it would have ruined any pipe dream possible for Al Horford unless you traded away Aaron Baines and Marcus Morris, which I don't really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Smith's pretty much ruined Horford anyway. Um, I still think we would have had enough to go out and get a decent power forward, maybe someone like a John Lua, if Van Gundy wanted to go that route. So I wouldn't have been upset giving him that type of deal at all, no. Yeah, I think I agree. Giving $10 million to the backup point guard, uh, that, that's something I would have felt comfortable with, especially if you have Reggie Jackson playing still close to about 30 minutes a game like he did this past season, then you have 20 minutes, basically, for uh, a backup. You, you have someone that can carve out a pretty large role as a backup point guard, especially if they can play at the two spot at all and, and spot maybe KCP and, and some of the other wings. And that's something that someone like Delavadova could have done in Detroit. So that's that's what makes, I think, the Ish Smith move kind of questionable for me because clearly he's only going to be able to play at that point guard spot. He's a good facilitator. I think he's someone that can run the offense. Uh, and you're right, he is a, a great athlete, but... I wonder about the versatility of the lineup and the bench now uh, and how it may, if there are injuries to the bench, you could have some issues now having a player that is kind of only available to play one position. 
Yeah, and I think maybe that's why Van Gundy went out and drafted Benajay as well, as someone who could potentially play not two but three positions. So I guess he's looking at it that way as he can afford more of a, a pure style point guard in that someone that is exclusively a point guard and can't really shift over. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, another couple of point guards that we should mention that uh, I, I know were kind of targeted by Pistons fans, uh, one of which is Jared Bayless. Uh, three years, $27 million with the 76ers. Again, a, a deal that the Pistons definitely could have made. Uh, it would have been more than, I guess, the front office was willing to spend at that point guard spot. And I guess that kind of leads me to my, my broader question with the backup point guard. Uh, you know, it's Stan Van was very clear in addressing the media that it was a, a primary need. It was something that we had to go out and address. He spends $6 million on Ish Smith. Uh, it does open up now about $14 million that remain uh, to possibly add another player to this roster. Uh, the Al Horford dreams probably do still remain, but if it was such a big priority to get a backup point guard, are you surprised it wasn't a bigger name than Ish Smith? Or, or do you just think it's Van Gundy found the guy he wanted? Um, both. I mean, I, I was a bit surprised that we weren't at least... Uh, in talks, like Wojbombs and Stein and things like that, saying that, oh, the Pistons are in talks with Bayless or whoever. Um, yeah. just, I think Bayless is the same as Delavadova, and he's probably taking a little bit less because he's probably going to start in Philly, at least for this season. Yeah, for um, sure. Just on Smith, I think the thing that confuses me is that he's a guy that's probably still going to be around in a few days anyway, so... With me, I mean, I have no idea what goes on in the front office. I don't know how these things work, but I would have thought that they could have still gone after a guy like a Jared Bayless, and then if that failed, they could have still pursued Smith anyway. Right. He doesn't strike me as someone who is a an in-demand free agent, like someone who is high on a lot of teams' boards. I know Philly wanted him back, but I don't think they would have been exceptionally keen from day one. Yeah, I agree with you, because if you look at the names of the players that have signed so far, they're bigger names... Uh, or it's you know restricted free agents signing back with their current team. You're right. I think he would have been there in a few days, and at that point, we might have had a little better idea of what we could have done to land a bigger free agent. Uh, do you still think there's a chance of landing a bigger name in free agency? Oh well, it depends who you consider a bigger name, like Al Horford, Ryan Anderson, that type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk about those two. I, I know the Horford rumors. It's been maybe. I think a little over a week now that Al Horford has been rumored linked with the Pistons. Mark Stein, of course, reported uh, before free agency started that we were interested in Horford. Uh, there's been quite a bit of coverage on Detroit Bad Boys about his fit and how realistic it is to get Horford. At this point now, having $14 million in cap space, knowing the Thunder are still interested. Um, and also, I, I should mention Dwight Howard signing with the Hawks today. So that probably means Horford's not returning to Atlanta. What do you think are the chances of landing Horford at this point? Well, if we start with the, the pure money side of it, I think we had, you said, what, $14 million left? Um, yep. Uh, we can probably get up to about $17 million just by getting rid of guys like Joel Anthony, uh, Lorenzo Brown. It pains me to say, but Cameron Besto as well. I'm sure he'd be cut to make a bit of room if there was a realistic chance at Horford. Mm-hmm. But then we'd still be only at around $18 million, so probably have to try and trade someone like Aaron Baines um, for a, a Phoenix-style salary dump. And I'm not entirely willing to risk that, considering how it turned out for Phoenix and that they got burnt by Aldrich anyway. So, I mean, unless there was like some sort of concrete commitment that Al Horford would be like, if you can clear this room, then I'm definitely signing with you. I, I don't know if I'd be willing to, to take the chances in, in gutting the roster. Well, not so much gutting the roster, but getting rid of some depth to have a theoretical chance at signing him. I would love him, though. Oh, you would? Yeah, what do you, what do you think of yeah. his fit with uh, the Pistons? How, how does he kind of mix in with everyone? I think he fits fine in the starting lineup. With Andre, he's stretched his range out to the three-point line, and even just from mid-range, is pretty lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's an excellent playmaker uh, from the, uh, the elbow area, so I think he can kind of catch the ball there and allow people to like cut in. Like KCP is really good at cutting to the basket, so that could be a really good fit for them. Uh, opens up some space for Andre inside, um, and it would probably push, uh, I would guess, Marcus Morris to the bench and slide Harrison over at three, unless 
Van Gundy is comfortable and Harris is comfortable with him coming off the bench. And I, I still think that whoever does go to the bench would get about 25, 30 minutes anyway. So I think in terms of overall fit, it would be pretty good. And also he's a decent defender. Like he's He recovers well. He defends kick and rolls well. So I, I, I don't really see a, too big of a problem in terms of the fit with him. I guess I, I initially when I heard it, I, I just didn't think that it made sense. I wasn't sure how we could sign him. Uh, I, I knew what he would be commanding on the market, and I didn't know how we could you know, make up for it. And I wasn't sure about the fit, but you're right. It probably just means he plays the four. He stretches his range out to the three-point line and probably takes more threes. You probably see more attempts from Horford. Um, I've really grown to, to kind of love it if we could get him. Uh, I'm not sure how realistic it is still. I know it's still being kind of discussed, and there are rumors out there that we might be getting a meeting in the next couple days. But I, I'm I'm wondering what we have to do to get there. So if it means trading Aaron Baines, you seem you know not that not that interested or at least hesitant to do so. Um, the nice thing about the Pistons is we have some contracts like we did with Jody Meeks that we can move to create some cap space. Uh, Marcus Morris and Aaron Baines come to mind pretty quickly for most people. Those are the two that have been mentioned that may have to move to clear up some cap for Al Horford. Of those two players, which do you think is more expendable at this point? Um, from the Pistons' standpoint and how we played last year, I think Baines is more expendable. Mm-hmm. From other teams' standpoint, I think Morris is more valuable in that they would want him because he's got a longer contract and he's obviously a better player and he's cheaper. Yeah, that's true. And that's the nice position the Pistons are in. They have a lot of very cheap, valuable contracts right now that might be really attractive to other teams that are looking to do kind of what Phoenix uh, did last year. You're right, that that salary dump. Maybe the Pistons take advantage of that later in free agency. And also they have some smaller contracts that they can move if they're looking to clear up space. Uh, If it means getting rid of both, do you do it to get Al Horford if it means, you know, sacrificing two role players? <coughs> uh, probably not. I don't think that... I, I think he's a great player, but I wouldn't be prepared to to, um, to gut our depth from a playoff team, some a team that's improving. And especially with Morris, a guy that's under team control at such a cheap rate for a few more years, I don't think I'd be prepared to do that. Yeah, I agree. And if, if it means signing him to a, a four-year deal, I know he's getting close to 30. I'm just not sure that what that means for our our title chances. I think it makes us a contender in the East. Uh, but again, you have the Cleveland Cavaliers that you have to deal with. And I'm just, I'm not sure if that's the best move to break up a young team that's still developing to add a veteran piece that it might make us a little better today. I'm just not sure what it does for us in the future. Um. Are there other players then that that you've kind of targeted in free agency with that salary cap money remaining? It does seem that we'll be adding maybe another combo forward, maybe another big man. Uh, is there a free agent out there that that you think makes sense for the Pistons? Um, I would have said Toledovich, but he's gone now, so I have no idea. I've I've been largely focusing on the point guards. I haven't even thought about the power forwards. I didn't think it was that pressing a need. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to have a quick look now. I'm so underprepared for this. Um, no, you're you're right that, that Toledovich was one that made quite a bit of sense, signing three years, $30 million with the Bucks today, a $10 million, $10 million a year for him. That was a little more than I kind of expected, uh, but he had a great year in Phoenix. He shot incredibly well and definitely helped his uh, free agency stock this offseason. Um, I know the two names that have kind of been mentioned, it rumored, again, it's, it's difficult to know what rumors to take seriously this time of year, but Thomas Robinson and John Luer, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with either of those players, but I guess now yeah. those are the names we have to kind of focus on. If it's not landing someone like Al Horford or Ryan Anderson, which means quite a bit of money and probably some cap tinkering, what do you think of a guy like John Luer? Uh, uh, I like uh, I like John Luer as a player. Um I can't say I watched much of Phoenix last year because they were that terrible, so I don't really see him play that much. Um, But he appears to me as someone who is a decent shooter as well from uh, from all over the floor. Um, So I guess I'd be okay with Mm Lua, depending on whatever his price would be. Um, As for Robinson, that's an absolutely firm get out of my face. I don't want you here at all. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he's great and all, and he's that quote-unquote 
hustle guy, but I don't know. I, I kind of want a bit more, and Robinson's bounced around. He's just not what I'm looking for at this point. Yeah, I agree. I also don't understand the fit with Thomas Robinson. Uh, he's someone that definitely is playing power forward. Maybe he can play a bit at the five, but he's undersized to do so. Uh, and again, he doesn't offer any shooting. He is a quality rebounder. I'm just not sure what you're getting from Thomas Robinson. So I completely agree with him. John he doesn't Lord, fit in the Smith lineup as well. He doesn't fit in the Ish Smith lineup of we need shooting everywhere else. If we've got a point guard that shoots like that, and that's Ron true. Robinson. Yeah, that's very true. If you've got a point guard who can't shoot, you have two players on the floor that defenses don't really have to worry about. Uh, it makes it much easier to defend us. And I think that's something with the bench unit I'm sure Van Gundy is thinking about. So I would be surprised if it's Thomas Robinson. With John Luer, I worry a bit about the redundancy with Henry Ellenson. Uh, we just brought him in as someone who you know is a stretch four and can probably play a little bit at the five, similar to Luer. Quality rebounder, pretty good shooter. They even are similar in terms of just size and, and their ability and skill on the offensive end. So I guess if we sign Lure, I would worry a little bit about how NBA-ready Ellenson is. Uh, would you worry about something like that? I'll be honest, I've totally forgotten about Ellenson during free agency. I keep forgetting we have him, and then it's a nice surprise. Like, oh yeah, we've got Henry Ellenson still. Yeah, um, <laughs> right. Because he's just been totally pushed to the back of my mind. Yeah, it's true. Thinking about Al Horford and whatnot. Um... That is a fair point, actually. I, I didn't really think about it like that. Lua, I think, has more potential as a shooter straight away if they want to not rush Ellenson in because Lua shot 38% last year from the NBA three compared to 28% from Ellenson from the college three. So I guess if Van Gundy is looking for instant shooting upgrades, and I think he wouldn't be wrong to bring in someone like John Lua just to maybe not put so much pressure on Ellenson straight away. But um, long-term... I don't really want anyone standing in Ellenson's way um, just because they're there and they have to get minutes because they're getting paid. I'd rather see Ellenson get those minutes. Yeah, that's true. I, and Lure is still young enough that I can't imagine he'd be willing to sign a short deal. I, I'm guessing he's looking, especially with the free agency market right now and how much money is being spent at a three, four-year deal. And if that's the case, it probably does hinder... Ellenson's development and just ability to get on the floor. He's already having to fight Harris and Morris for minutes at the four, maybe even Aaron Baines. Uh, I'm just not sure how he carves out a role if we add someone else like that. Another player that's been talked about a little bit is Mo Harkless. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I already knew your response because again, someone who is not a very good, not a very good shooter and just on the offensive end, if we're going to play him as, at that stretch four spot, I'm not sure what he does offensively besides just hustle. Yeah, as I tweeted nine hours ago now, I want Harkless nowhere near the Pistons. Eight figures for a 30% three-point shooter who only grabs six rebounds per 36. No thank you. That pretty much sums up everything I have to say about Harkless. Yeah, that's completely fair. Six rebounds per 36, That is that is pretty dreadful if you're going to have him at the power forward spot. Uh, and again, I mean, I think he largely played the three though for Portland. So I don't. Yeah. I always thought he was more of a four because of his lack of shooting. But if he's playing the three, that's even worse. True, that is even worse. And I know he can guard and kind of play those combo forward spots. But if we already have Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris, again, it's just the redundancy. I'm not sure what we're doing if these are the names that are being rumored. I'm not sure if it's smoke screens or you know people possibly just hearing the wrong information. Uh, but I haven't really been that excited by anyone. Uh, connected to the Pistons. The only player I would really consider that I think makes some sense is Lance Thomas, uh, who played with the New York Knicks this past season. A pretty good shooter, uh, someone who you know kind of fits at that stretch four spot and carved out a nice role in New York. Uh, I think is someone that could you know even spot start if you needed him to at the three and four. Uh, so if we're looking now at combo forwards and players at that stretch four spot. He's probably the one player that I at least feel comfortable with if it means paying someone 8 to $10 million right now. Do you have anyone like that in mind? Well, on Thomas, I think if we're asking him to start at points next season, something's gone horribly wrong. That's probably um, true, yeah. Yeah. Someone that I forgot that I really liked, um, that's probably a little bit expensive, is Marvin Williams, but I don't know what he's going to actually get on the market considering what other guys have been getting. Yeah, I'm a little nervous now that I saw Solomon Hill sign a little earlier today with the Pelicans, four years, $48 million. 
You're giving a player that hasn't played a whole lot of minutes in the NBA $12 million a year. Uh, Jeff Green getting $15 million on a one-year contract with the Magic. You're right. It, it makes someone like Marvin Williams maybe a 18 to $20 million player. I don't think it's crazy at this point. I'd be perfectly happy in giving Williams just a two-year deal with the rest of our cap space at this point and then just because the cap's going to jump again next year, so I won't look as bad. So I'd be perfectly fine with like a 230, but any sort of long-term thing that I'd want the money to go down, I don't think that's going to be possible with Williams. Yeah, that's true. And now that Charlotte has lost uh, a couple players um, in free agency, Jeremy Lin signing with the Nets, and who was the other player that signed elsewhere? Well, they signed back Batum. Oh, Al Jefferson. They had Al Jefferson yeah. signing with the Pacers three years, $30 million, which was kind of an interesting move. Uh, the Pacers totally remaking that roster. We want to play faster, so we'll get the slowest center ever. Right. We'll get someone you just have to completely just... He's going to have that spot in the paint. Uh, and defensively, we already saw Al Jefferson start to break down last season. Uh, I don't quite understand that for the Pacers. And also, I kind of like Miles Turner last year. So now... Uh, having adding Thad Young and still wanting to play Paul George at the four a bit, I've, you've kind of buried a rookie that looked promising last season. Um, I think George. I think George will play the three Young at the four. I think they'll start Turner. He's too good not to start. Oh, you think uh, Jefferson comes off the bench? Well, that's what I would do. But they are paying him ten. I don't know. There's just going to be a massive sinkhole whenever Jefferson enters the court and just plants himself right in the middle of the paint. He's going to start sinking it around him. Yeah, no, it's true, and the pace of the game is going to completely change for them offensively because you know you just have to feed him to kind of keep him happy and keep him engaged. Uh, when he's on the floor, he's just going to have to see the ball sometimes, and I think that just really slows down and kind of creates that log jam that you're talking about. So I didn't quite understand that move for the Pacers, uh, especially when they went away from Frank Vogel because they made this big push for pace, and Larry Bird has been talking about how important it is to play fast and shoot more threes and you sign Al Jefferson. It just doesn't quite fit what you've been talking about all offseason. And they got Jeff Teague as well, someone I totally forgot. Yeah, that's right. I added him, uh, I think that was a, a draft day move or right before? I think it was right before draft day. Yeah, yeah. I, think it was a cult. I think it was around the same. Just looking at some of these free agent moves, and I have the list up right now that SB Nation has together of just the list of current signings. I know you follow this very close, especially last night, which was, you know, for you just the middle of the day. What have you thought so far of this free agent market? Has there been a real head-scratching move, or are there any contracts that you completely disagree with at this point? Uh, the one that first comes to mind is probably Evan Turner getting four years and, like, set, what was it, $70 million or something to go to Portland. I don't think – I think he's a good player. I wouldn't have minded him uh, for the Pistons as, like, a combo everything. But $17.5 million a year over four years for someone who's already, like, 20 – I would say 28 or so – um, that that's a bit confusing to me. Yeah, I agree. Someone approaching thirty again. You know, he's, he's not a great shooter. Uh, played well in Boston, but you're right. Getting four years, seventy million. That was pretty crazy. Uh, Evan, he's probably going to come off the bench as well, um, unless whatever they do with, um, unless he wants to start at the three. But he's probably going to be like a backup combo guy to Lillard and McCollum. So that's a really big contract for that. That's true, because they still have Aminu, and they signed someone else today, too. Oh, and well, no, they're looking at signing Gasol. That's what it was. Uh, but yeah, that's a move that doesn't... That just seems like quite a bit for a player uh, of Turner's caliber. Uh, as some of these, you know, player... The restricted free agents, what they're re-signing for, the numbers are pretty incredible. Five years, $128 million for Bradley Beal. Five for 85, Evan Fournier. Uh... What do you think of our uh, re-signing with Andre Drummond getting the full max, five years, 130? Are you happy with that, looking at some of the other maxes that are out there? As I've said this whole time, and to anyone that asks me, if you can find a center that averages 16 and 16 and not pay them the max, then good luck with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I think we're at the point on Detroit Bad Boys that we're not even sure what to say now that it's official. Uh, I think it was just a long time coming that this he was going to sign this contract. Uh, but coming off an all-star season, he's clearly the player we're going to build this team around. Uh, I think it's the move that we had to make. And trying to add Al Horford next to him, um, I wonder if that's... If that means you know Andre Drummond having to share some minutes at the at that center spot, um, do you uh, is, is signing a player for this much money? 
do you think it means Andre Drummond playing more minutes and being more of a focal point of the team now that he has that contract, or do you see his role staying pretty pretty much the same? No, I think his role will be you know fairly close to what it was. Um, I don't, uh, I don't think he has the. How do I say this? Um, I don't think Van Gundy has any reason to give him a bigger role, if that's what you mean, in terms of like more touches on offense. I don't think sure. he's necessarily deserved that or earned that. Yeah, I think he's just fine. What he is, I don't know, the occasional post up with his little go to shimmy hook move, whatever he wants to call it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a massive difference. If you can improve the defense, that's just amazing. But yeah, I don't think there'll be any change. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I know the big move in the NBA, even after this, uh, you know, the NBA finals with the Cavaliers winning, uh, is the small is the move towards small ball. And I think that's what makes Al Horford attractive is uh, the chance that you could play him at the five for stretches and have someone who can shoot uh, and, you know, play maybe a little bit faster than Drummond. Um, But again, I just, I think you're right. I think the role stays the same, but I'm interested now how they build around him. And I kind of thought Tobias Harris was kind of that, um, was going to be the stretch for, for the team going into the future. Now with Al Horford's name kind of just, you know, being rumored, uh, do you see Tobias Harris's role changing going into this next season with some of the rumors that are out there on, on power forwards with the Pistons? Uh, if we get Horford, that's a really big if. Um, yeah. Probably a, a not going to happen, but let's just say for argument's sake that Horford decides to come home to Michigan, even though he only moved there when he was like 14. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Harris will become kind of like a. I think he, I think he can play. I always thought he was a small forward anyway before he came to the business side. I don't think he had any problems moving over to the three. And Marcus is probably the odd one out in terms of coming off the bench. Um, I think Harris will just be asked to improve his shooting a bit more than his average levels at the moment, especially if he's going to work with a whole for drum and front line. If he can't improve his shooting, then maybe he'll have a problem. If Harris can't improve his shooting, then it may be a bit of a problem with the um, Horford Drummond front line, considering that Horford's an average, like a decent shooter, but no one knows if he's going to carry that on, and then Drummond, an obvious non-shooter. Yeah, that's true, and I, I think it's something to worry about with Morris and Harris both, uh, is that yeah. if you don't see an improvement in the three-point shooting, uh, it just it makes that offense a little bit more difficult because it, it becomes a little easier to defend if defenders don't have to worry about shooters at that three and four spot. Uh, so adding someone like Horford would make sense, but you're right. It still puts the pressure on Harris to improve as a shooter. Uh, you know, we saw some good basketball from him at the end of the regular season, but he did kind of disappear in the playoffs. So I'm wondering how his role changes with the Pistons going into, you know, his first full season with the team. Uh, and the team we got him from has had a really bizarre off season. Uh, today signing DJ Augustine, re-signing Fournier, and adding Jeff Green one year, fifteen million. I guess it's just nice for the Pistons to like clearly have a plan. And, and Stan Van Gundy, he clear, it's very clear with signing Ish Smith as quickly as he did. We definitely have a plan for our team. Uh, any teams out there that you just you don't understand? I mean, for me, it's the Magic. Are there any other teams with who they've signed that you just kind of question what the what the team is doing? Well, I was going to say the Magic, but to give a different opinion. Um, the Knicks, I saw a great tweet just before. It's like they're being run by a 12-year-old's 2K franchise with the injuries turned off. That, that just made it for me. <laughs> yes, that is so true. It, just good luck with all the knees. If you can yeah. keep all those knees healthy, maybe you'll have a decent season. But still, there's, it's not much of a long-term plan there in New York. I mean, they signed Noah to, I think it was 470, or they're apparently going to, uh, getting... Derek Rose, um, for what a lot of people thought was a bit of an overpay. I mean, he really had didn't have that much value, and then they gave away a really good center and a promising guard prospect in Jaron Grant. Uh, and then now they're rumored to sign Eric Gordon as well. So, I don't know, they must have the really best doctors available at Madison Square Garden because, I don't know, they're going to be busy. Yeah, they need to also sign uh, the legendary Phoenix training squad and, and all of their doctors, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, which I know that was part of their their pitch to LaMarcus Aldridge was how great 
uh, Phoenix was at keeping players healthy. But you're right. It seems like New York, uh, with with who they're signing and with what they're doing, it, it, they're just a, going to be a couple injuries away from completely folding. And that's without talking about Carmelo Anthony, who only played 29 games last season. So that's a team that clearly just doesn't quite have a plan, uh, but it's just kind of going after names at this point. I know I we talked. Is their plan? Their plan is name recognition and just filling out the garden. True. Yeah, they've got tickets to sell. That's very true. Yeah. So you've got some players to go and see. It would be interesting to see that team. Uh, I'm I'm really interested to see. You know, especially oh, when I'd they watch it. yeah when they sign Noah, which seems like a done deal. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to, to see what they look like next season. We talked a bit about the Pacers. Let's just stick in um, our division for a minute. So the the Cavaliers, uh, it seems like they're not going to re-sign Del Vadova, but of course they're going to be one of the favorites for the NBA title next season. Uh, looking elsewhere in the division, uh, the Pacers with kind of their questionable moves today, the Bucks was what with what they've done. Is there a team that you think has drastically improved in the division? And is there a, and on the other side of that, what team has hurt themselves the most in our division so far? I don't think there's a team that's drastically improved. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Bucks' free agent signings, um, but and I love Thon Maker, but the tenth pick was a bit of a question mark. Yeah, thirty-eight-year-old um, Thon Maker. That's right. Yeah, rocking up to the draft with his kids in a minivan. Right. That's right. The Pacers have got good players, just individually, like players. But in terms of the whole team construct, I don't know how it all works together and like where they find minutes for everyone and keep everyone happy. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of ball dominant guys on that team. Because like you'll have to throw the ball to Thad Young and let him go. Paul George, obviously. Uh, Monte Ellis is still there. Whenever Caveman comes on, you got to throw it down in the paint for him and let him waddle around. Um. Who's the other team? Oh, Chicago. Yeah. They've been kind of marginal. I think they got good return for Derrick Rose, so that that's probably a good thing for them, but I don't really think anyone has marginally improved, us included. Okay. So do you, I guess if it's all just kind of marginal moves, uh, do you like where the, the Pistons are at right now? After, you know, kind of into this first day of free agency, do you like what they are looking at the rest of the division? Uh, or do you think they still need to go out and and use the rest of that cap to sign someone? No, I, I still like where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've still got really good flexibility and the ability to offer a decent contract and like a good situation. Uh, we won, I think it was 12 more games last year than the year before, so we're obviously improving a good coach. Um, I think if we can just sign a, a really nice power forward, maybe not a Marvin Williams type, but, you know, someone that can come in for, like, 25 minutes, if even that many, and just hit some threes. Yeah. Maybe do a bit more than Tolliver, but, um, yeah, I think I'm comfortable. Yeah, I think if I had to kind of rank the division, I think I would still put Cleveland on top, and then I would put us and Indiana, depending on kind of how their um, melting pot works out. I think I would put us around equal. Yeah, so that probably keeps us in that in that playoff picture. Uh, I mean, we're just not even through the first full day of free agency. What do you expect from the Pistons uh, before July 10th? Do you do you expect another player signed? Do you see us kind of staying quiet? Uh, tomorrow, summer league play starts, so the focus will kind of be on that for the team. What do, what do you see for the Pistons in the next nine, ten days or so? I think we'll sign another player. Who it is or what it's going to be, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I mm-hmm. saw us potentially uh, being interested in Courtney Lee, and that would make no sense. He's a great player, but I mean, we have a lot of guards anyway, so I have no idea the type of player we're going to sign, but I do think that Ben Pandy will bring someone else on uh, before the before the 10th. Yeah, I think, we'll, I think we'll sign someone else. Okay. Um, I had a follow-up today. I just forget what it was. Can we talk about Moskov for a minute? I just want to talk about Moskov. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the first free agent signings. Uh, that was the first Woj bomb. Was the Moscow four year sixty four million? That was that was insane. What are just what are your thoughts about him and the Lakers? The Lakers oh. too. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> so so interesting. That move. That signing. Oh, Moscow is getting John Wall money. I don't know how he's going to feel about that though. In <laughs> that's true. That is John Wall money. Yeah. Um, and Bradley Beal's getting more than John Wall money. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but like, I don't know. I have absolutely no reason why they paid Mozgov even close to that 64 million. I would have given him like half and then just like hoped he ran with it. He was absolutely awful in the finals and not even that good in the regular season anyway. Um, he kind of showed why you shouldn't play him in terms of like he gets a bit lost on offense and his defense for a scud 7-1 is marginal at best. So in a way, I guess that fits perfectly with the Lakers. Um, I just find it really funny. I can't wait to watch him sort of stump around there with all the athleticism they've got and then like Clarkson and Ingram and Randall and then just have this big Russian guy in the middle who's like <laughs> the max player on the team. Yeah, you're right. The, the roster's just moving in such a different direction from Mozgov. It just doesn't make sense why you give him that much money. At that point, just kind of hold on to uh, hold on to it if you're just going to... I don't want to say waste it because I think Mozgov is there's still value. I think he's still a good enough player that you know he's he was worth something from the Lakers. But you're right, the contract they gave him, you better be rolling him out there for about 25 minutes a game. Otherwise, I'm not sure why they signed him at all. I'm I'm really surprised that they weren't even at least rumored to chase after someone like Biombo. I mean, I know both yeah. of sort of every year they the fans always say that, and like this is a bit annoying with Lakers fans like oh this year. If we sign DeRozan and Biombo and Horford, we're going to be so good. And then they get Mozgov in the end. So I'm surprised they didn't at least. Uh, I would have liked Biombo and the Lakers. I think it would be a really good fit with Randall and um, Ingram and Clarkson. So unless they just tried and were absolutely rejected straight up, I don't see why they didn't at least have a go. Yeah, you're right. And after striking out on getting a meeting with Hassan Whiteside, and they seemed interested in Whiteside, it kind of makes sense if you're looking for a player like Whiteside, you don't go out and sign Mozgov. You're right. The next logical player would probably be someone like Biombo. And if you compare him with Julius Randle, well, now you have a rim protector and and someone who is probably a nice front court compliment there. Uh, Mozgov, again, I just it does not quite make sense for that team. But it just kind of shows where that Lakers franchise is right now. Uh, they can't get meetings with the bigger players. Uh, they struck out getting the the next tier of guys, uh, so they panicked. I think that's clearly a panic signing, uh, having to give sixty four million to Mozgov. I mean, Mozgov's getting sixteen million a year. I don't think Bilbo's going to get that much more than that anyway. The Lakers have such a large amount of cap space. Well, at least you know, have a go. Right, I think it's worth at least exploring. Uh, and it was a move that came across so fast. It was within the first two hours of free agency. Uh, so clearly they they thought they weren't going to be able to get anyone else. But, uh, you know, the moves have started to slow down a bit in terms of just the transactions throughout the day. So I'm wondering if maybe they just didn't have a good pulse on the market and actually would have had a chance of signing someone like Biombo at $16 million. You're right, that's probably the number he comes in at. Uh, and I'm sure he would have loved to play in L.A. That That's still a draw. I think playing for the Lakers is still a draw, even though, you know, the, the team is going to be probably pretty terrible next season. Well, of course, they just signed Moscow to, like, half their cash <laughs> Right, right. So now you've kind of, yeah, you've made your bed now, and uh, you're stuck with it. Uh, good luck to Luke Walton. Years. And to four years. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, good luck, Coach Walton. That's going to be... Uh, not quite the same situation as uh, your first head coaching stint last year with uh, the Warriors. Very different <laughs> like, situation. He's like the anti-Walton type player. I mean, Bogut yeah. is kind of like the same body type, but at least Bogut's skilled as a passer and is an excellent rebound at Moscow, but he's just kind of a tree that just stands there. Right, he's just a, screens. just a bully. Yeah, he, very different from Bogut. You're right, he just doesn't have the, the skill with the ball. So you're, you're signing someone that... I'm just I'm not sure what he provides a team that is you would think with bringing on Luke Walton designing an offense that's going to shoot move the ball around and now you've got just a a, a giant inside uh, an immovable piece uh, it would have been the same signing well actually it wouldn't have been it probably would have been better if they signed someone like Al Jefferson because at least he has a post game uh, to kind of complement his size. Yeah, I mean, at least Jefferson's kind of got positive history in the league, and yeah, he's got some sort of skill. Like, Mozgov has a decent jumper, I think, but nothing that's, A, worth $16 million, and B, is going to win you a lot of games by stretching the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other contract I wanted to talk about, now the highest-paid player in the NBA, 
Mike Conley, five years, $153 million with the Grizzlies. They said he was in the room... Uh, uh, he was in the room for the pitch to Chandler Parsons. Parsons signing today, four years, ninety-four million, and then Conley re-ups. Uh, do you like those? Do you like the moves of Memphis and and Conley's contract? Uh, is it? I know it's a little strange to think of Conley as the highest-paid player, but what do you think about what the Grizzlies did today? Um, I, I thought Parsons was almost certainly going to Portland. I thought apparently they had a really good presentation. Yeah. Then again, everyone everyone says that. Um. Conley, how old is he? He's twenty. He's gonna be twenty nine at the start of the season. I lo- I really I love Conley as a player. I think he's the perfect Memphis player. Yeah. So in that sense, pay him whatever he wants because he's so invaluable to your franchise as kind of the the heart and soul, like the leader of it. Um. But yeah, it's really strange that he like who's the highest paid player in the league? If you like walk out to a, a casual fan on the street or just some of the kind of knows the NBA. Like, if you ask them, oh, who's the most played, play, most paid player in the league? Like, oh, LeBron James or, or Curry or someone like that. Like, no, it's Mike Conley. Who's that? So that's just kind of strange. Like, he's earning, like, 30, over $30 million a year if you average it out. So, but in terms of the moves, I, I like them. I like what Memphis has done. I like getting passes. I think he works well. They needed a bit of shooting and some creativity, and they got that. It's also an upgrade over Matt Barnes, who was probably going to be starting at the 3-4 that he was last year anyway, so That's I true. like what Memphis has done. Yeah, I think it's a good move to get Parsons. You're right, it was kind of a surprise he signed with Memphis after. Um, and, and, and you're right, Portland saying that it was a good presentation and all the rumors that he was going to Portland. I, it's very rare it comes out they had a bad presentation. You know, most NBA teams leak that things went well, not that they went poorly. Uh, but with Conley signing almost $30 million a year, I guess it's something NBA fans just have to get used to now. And it does make the contracts the Pistons have signed the last few seasons just seem a lot more palatable. You know, we, we have our starting point guard in at almost half of what Conley's contract is. Uh, so at, at least with, you know, it was questionable at the time, but I think the Pistons look a lot better today with some of the contracts they have. Yeah, if you look at last year, everyone was saying, Who's Aaron Baines? We signed him to three years and twenty million. Like, who is he? He was a bench warmer for San Antonio. Yeah. And then you look at like bench warmers now; they're getting like ten million. Like his contract just looks like someone's just gone in and thrown some money in the charity bin at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, you've got Daryl Arthur making more money now than what Baines' contract was last year, uh, and that's just kind of a, a bench player. You know, the, the seventh, eighth guy on the roster is now going to be making eight to twelve million dollars, and you just have to kind of get used to that idea. Uh, but seeing some of the moves that have come across today, and from what I've, you know, what has been rumored uh, of what's coming for player contracts. Yeah, it makes me feel a lot better about the Pistons and the position they're in and some of the contracts they have, uh, even signing Drummond to his max. We still have pretty manageable contracts for the next few years as we continue to build the team. Uh, Did Arthur get signed? I didn't see anything about Arthur. Oh, there we go. Watch for him. What's that? Oh, I, just didn't, I didn't see any news about the role Arthur until I just looked him up now after you said it. Yeah, he was within the last couple hours, but he's, you know, three for 23. So he's coming in at what, like almost $8 million, $8 million a season? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's just, that's that's quite a bit of money. And and Arthur in Denver, he's got, there, there's so many forwards, especially at that four spot that the Nuggets have right now. I just, I don't know how, you know, what the role is for Arthur making $8 million a year. It just doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, um, my, my whole thing with the, the, um, the rising cap, and this is going to be the best example for someone like Evan Turner, mm-hmm. is that firstly, I don't care how high the cap is. Um, a rising cap is no excuse for an overpay of someone. And then secondly, 17 million is still 17 million. Yeah. So it's, it's going to look just as bad, especially when the cap flattens out to, I don't know what it's reported as, but <clears throat> it's still going to be not terrible, but, if you're saying, oh, we have to pay him more because the cap's rising, that's bad cap management. Yeah, I completely agree. And you have to have a an idea of that, and you have to think a few seasons ahead. So you're right, the cap is going to go up again, and then it's going to plateau for a few seasons right around $110 million. So if you're signing Solomon Hill as a good example, $12 million a year, he's still going to count for about 10% of the cap in a few seasons. So you're hoping he's 
at at worst is your seventh player. Uh, otherwise, you've thrown quite a bit of money at someone. It's, and, then, and then you end up with a lot of long term commitments for uh, eight figure salaries. And then you, when those free agents have come around, you've kind of got nothing to do. Yeah, it's true. And now you've pigeonholed yourself uh, because you just you had money and you thought you had room and signed players to contracts that were just a little ridiculous. Uh, the, the, just the last few hours, seeing Dwight Howard sign three years, seventy million, it makes me feel a lot better about Drummond's contract. I mean, he's 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 clearly our 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 guy. And when you look at what other centers are making this offseason, uh, it's actually pretty reasonable. If you have Mozgov making sixty four over four and Dwight Howard making seventy over three, Andre Drummond making you know twenty five is not that bad. Especially because Drummond is like. Nine, eight, nine years younger than Howard as well. So, and he's got so much left in his prime, and he could eventually become like a twenty-point and like seventeen rebound player. So, I think whatever improvement he has will make the max contract look like a bargain, regardless of how high it goes. Do you uh, do you watch summer league? Oh yeah, when I can. I think it yeah. starts at about four a.m. But I kind of get up <laughs> and watch it and then go back to sleep. Right. So yeah, the, the Pistons start tomorrow, and you know Darren Hilliard. Now it looks like he's not going to be involved. But what are you looking for uh, from the Pistons uh, summer league squad? I'm kind of looking for, uh, in terms of individual players, I'm looking for Johnson to improve on his shooting. I know he shot it pretty well at summer league last year, but I kind of want to see him do better as a, a shooter and as a decision maker. Um, but then I also kind of want to see how Benjier goes running the point. If that that is what's going to happen. Um, I just want to see Ellenson kind of dominate because that made me feel a lot better about picking him. Not that I'm upset we picked him anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just kind of looking at those three guys and then anything else is kind of bonus. I mean, I don't see why Lorenzo Brown is there now. We've basically just ruined his chances by signing Smith. That's true. I think there's still a chance he could be the third point guard, uh, but you know, if we're, you're looking at only having 13 players under contract, you're right. I'm not sure that you know he's really playing for a roster spot. He He's maybe playing for another look at Grand Rapids. Uh, but yeah, Allenson, I think this is a chance for him to, to really step out and show that he was, you know, that he should have went higher in the draft because for most of the draft process, he was a, a lottery pick. So it was interesting that he fell to us at 18 and I, I gotta think that gives him a bit of a chip on his shoulder to prove something in summer league against some of these guys that went ahead of him. I don't know. With Ellenson, it seems like he's a bit too nice to have a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, that's true. How he comes across in interviews, he's like the from spending time in Indiana last season at Butler University. He just seems like the prototypical Midwesterner, so I don't know if I'm off with that, but that's just what I kind of get when I watch him in interviews. Not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just kind of, it's nice. Yes. It's nice. Yes, just very nice. And you're right, it's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but yeah, you're, you're right, he probably doesn't have any extra motivation to go out and crush people, uh, because it's probably just not his personality. Uh, but it's still a big stage for him in summer league. And I think it's a chance for him to, you know, start to carve out a spot in this rookie season. Uh, you know, looking at adding another power forward to the roster, I'm, I'm not sure how many minutes he'll, he'll be getting this in his rookie year. Uh, but I think if he really plays well in summer league, similar to what we've seen from Stanley Johnson, KCP, Andre Drummond over the last few seasons, uh, he might just force his way into the rotation right away. Yeah, and Austin Day as well played really, really good in summer league. So, oh yeah, that's that's true. So not always a great judge, yeah. not not a great way to judge it. Not every time. We've but had better better luck recently. He played awful, and he was awful. So there you go. <laughs> right. So sometimes it just works out the way it should. Uh, do you like having someone like Stanley Johnson play in summer league? You know, it's going into his second season. Uh, I've I've seen on Twitter some fans nervous about injury, and uh, you know they. They thought he was just going to be focusing on progression and not on playing basketball this offseason. Do you like having him play summer league? I don't, I don't think if okay, I do because I like seeing him play anyway because I think he's a great player to watch. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to play that many minutes anyway because I think Van Gundy's already kind of said they just they know what they've got with him. Right. Um, and even like the interviews from before when they said they probably weren't going to make him play summer league because they didn't want him to quote-unquote, feel comfortable and dominate people, but rather work on his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So I think, who's the coach? Is it Bob Byer again? I think he's going to kind of not play Johnson as many minutes as he did last year and kind of focus on, like, Ellenson and Benajay and the other guys instead. 
Yeah, and Benajay is kind of interesting because they've talked about playing him at point guard. Uh, with signing Ish Smith today, do you think Benajay has a chance to play point guard as a rookie? Um, well, he's very interesting. I mean, he's like six foot seven. Yeah, and he's supposed to be a, a really good shooter from his senior season at Syracuse. So, um, I think he's going to probably be on the depth chart, the third point guard. But with Benajay, I think he could actually save Lorenzo Brown's roster spot if they kind of view him as so versatile and that he can play the one, the two, or even the three, mm-hmm. they might be able to keep someone like Brandon as another third point guard and then kind of have Benajay as like a two or a three. But yeah, I think he can play some point guard this season. Like if we need a bigger point guard and Smith is getting kind of dominated, especially hypothetical, let's say we're playing Milwaukee and Delavadova is starting. That means Carter Williams off the bench who's six foot six. And as much as we like to make fun of him, he's kind of going to, ruin Ish Smith by just driving over him, so that could kind of be like a situation for Benichet. Yeah, it's true. Just too much wingspan for someone like Ish Smith if you're playing Milwaukee. Just too much everywhere. Uh, So yeah, it might force you to play someone like Benichet in in certain matchups. Um, They can just hold hands and just stretch across the whole court. (laughs) Right, yeah, and they're they're completely fine. Especially having, you know, you've got Giannis and uh, Chris Middleton at the two as well. You've got quite a bit of size on that team. Uh, but Tom Henson as well. Henson as well, yeah, and that that's someone I really like. And it's interesting that they've talked about trading Greg Monroe. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what they would get back for him, but you know, John Henson is someone that I think they could have start, and and he would be fine uh, starting with you know everyone else they have right now. Yeah, my friend who's a Bucks fan has said that I don't know why they want to like why people don't like Henson. I want him to start, so like he's kind of a bit of a how do I put this like a, a very divisive player and that some people think that he's perfectly fine off of the bench and there's some that like really wanted to start because he's actually really productive. Um, not much of a shooter though. That's kind of the big, con- but then again, that fits in Milwaukee because no one can shoot there. So yeah, exactly. And kind of divisive is just a whole Bucks roster because you've got players like Michael Carter Williams, who I, I know is very divisive in, you know, NBA circles. And I think it's pretty unified that no one likes him in the Milwaukee fan base. Oh, yeah? <laughs> just no one... They're probably really happy that they signed Delhi then. No. It's just less oh, Carter-Williams. The they, they just... He's got a lot of hate on Bucks Twitter. I don't know. I don't get it. My friend loves really? the signing. He's Australian, so that's kind of a bias, but... True. Yeah. I don't, they're just hard to... to um, hard to please. Yeah, they're hard to, hard to please. They're hard to label like with what they want. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of tough to know what the what they what they want. And with Jason Kidd as head coach, and he said things like, "Oh, you know, point Giannis for this next season." Um, yeah. Adding someone like Della Vadova, it, it just it makes sense. You think fans would be really, you know, really happy with a move like that? So it, it's funny that they've kind of, uh, you know, that they're not that, at least on Twitter, which which can be a tough judge of the fan base because usually the yeah. loudest voices are the angriest fans. Uh, yeah. But signing Toledovich today, they did get a shooter and someone that comes in and can probably give you 15, 20 minutes a game like he did in Phoenix. So that's yeah, a, um, that's at least one oh, shooter. Yeah. I, was gonna, oh, I forgot what I was going to Oh, yeah. I do totally get the concerns, though, uh, with Daly about how will he do without LeBron. So that is, I guess, yeah. a legitimate reason as to why people could be hesitant at throwing in a, a fair chunk of money uh, over a long term commitment. But um, and of course, there's questions about his athleticism as well. So, I don't totally disprove, like reject the question marks, but I think they're a little bit overblown at this point. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think for nine and a half million dollars, it's it's fair to have some question marks. You know, that it's someone that you know maybe Delhi is starting, but it's he, you're not paying him to be your you know point guard of the future franchise player. So. Uh, I, I'm just I'm wondering why it was met with so much criticism. I think it's a good Milwaukee move for the Milwaukee will be Bucks. the first team with a non-handling point guard and a seven-foot ball handler. And a seven-foot ball game. handler, yeah. It, it's going to be so interesting to watch them next year. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. You know, we've got $14 million left. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what we do in the next few days. Uh, and we also have summer league games to watch. It, it's crazy that we already have some basketball, some Pistons basketball to watch uh, tomorrow. Yep, and then it's back to the doldrums. 
Yes, and then it goes right back into complete silence there in about a month. The, the, the absolute dead part of the off-season is in, like, August and September. Yes, August and September are terrible because you're just looking at, you know, these these tiny little notes that'll come out of training camp, these very small signings and, you know, training camp invites. Uh, it's when all the big hot takes start to happen. Yes. About, like, about, like, new DG Augustine win the starting job from Brandon Jennings. Like, no, that never happened, but it, it was August, so we needed something to kind of keep us going. Right, people just run out of things to talk about. Uh, but yeah. the next few days, you still have quite a bit of news that'll that'll come across. Uh, so we should probably plan on maybe getting back together in a couple weeks and talking about Summer League and wrapping up free agency. That sounds good to you. Swell. Sounds good. Swell. All right, great. Well, uh, enjoy Summer League. Uh, to everyone in the States, enjoy your 4th of July weekend. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon.